The patients trust us to take care of them, and we have to be competent, confident. Hopefully, we in the education department guide them in that. Hi, I'm Dr. Kishishin. Welcome to our podcast series, House Calls with Dr. K. During this series, we're going to talk about many different things, but specifically, it's about medicine, the human side of medicine. We all have questions about our health, and who can you turn to, the providers that you trust. Hi, I'm Dr. Kishishin, and welcome to House Calls with Dr. K. Today's episode, we are going to be talking to the Nursing Education Department for LACUSC Medical Center. We're joined by Tammy Blass, Deborah Hunt, Samantha Nguyen, Maybeth Franconi, Stephanie Caps, Julie Wolfson, and Michael Puckett. Hi, everybody. There are many people that don't really understand and know what the nursing education department does unless you have been taught by one of you, yours truly, right? Tammy, I'm wondering, as the former director who just recently retired, congratulations. (laughs) Can you give us a little bit of the highlights of what your team does? Okay, Um, my team or our team does a lot. And I think you're right that a lot of people don't realize what a gem they have in this department. I do say so ourselves, <laughs> um, but we provide um, all of the mandatory education. So there's that, that you would expect, orientation, that kind of thing for all, for all the nurses. Um, but we also have some really wonderful specialty programs, our ICU program, our ER program, and our psych education as well. Um, so we have a lot of really great programs that everybody's going to talk a lot about, but I think one of our really wonderful qualities is that we um, is that we respond to whatever the medical center needs so I think that's our greatest strength so we're busy doing all these many programs that keep us very busy but when there's say something comes up like say a pandemic or something (laughs) then we're able to respond they contact us right away and say we need your help so we're going to need redeployment classes and we need them to be not too long but we need them to have everything that they would need to be prepared to go work in the areas people that have been gone for a long time so so that's something during the pandemic another thing that came up is okay so now we're going to need to expand uh, the areas that are going to provide provide high frequency nasal cannulas but we have nurses that have never been trained in that so then we you know our educators go ahead and come up with training pretty quickly that but is very detailed and very much prepares the staff to do that so that went on throughout the um, pandemic you know we have registry coming in tomorrow i would get a text in the evening tomorrow we're going to get more can you take them and of course we did and we figured it out and everything so this has gone on throughout the pandemic i think we at, um, in early may we had trained um i think it was 550 for redeployment um, many of whom had been away from the bedside for a long time. But then we went on to train many more, so I would guess it was probably seven or 800 by now. So those are, um, I think, some of the things that we do. And then, of course, the tip, as I said, you know, life support classes. I could go on and on about all the different um, classes we teach, but I think our, our real benefit to the nurses and to the patients and to administration is our ability to respond quickly to whatever they need and just adapt. That's great. You know, I have a question for all of you. You all sent me beforehand just a little bit of information about yourselves. I calculated the number of years experience amongst this group. Does anybody want to take a guess of how many years experience total that you have? Yeah, take a guess. Uh, it's a few hundred years. Yeah. Yeah. It was over 150 years. Over 150 years of nursing experience. Which is amazing because we're all only in our early 30s. That's right. (laughs) How did did we do that? (laughs) (laughs) Is that new math? (laughs) Now, your team consists of how many people? We now um, are full. When we're full, we're 13. 13. Um, During most of the pandemic, we were anywhere from 10 to 12. But now, and this last part for the big surge, we just had 10, but we've now hired, recently hired three, so we're, we're full. And of course now I, I left as of the end of February, but, but in terms of the educators, we have 13 now. And it sounds like you have the major programs that probably came into play most during the pandemic were the um, emergency nurse training program and the critical care ICU 
programs. Is that correct? That's correct. Were you training nurses for all of the Department of Health Services? You want me? I'll go ahead and answer. Yeah. We do. Pro- yeah, we provide all of the didactic critical care education for all the nurses in DHS, and um, even to like for example, we had run our programs. And um, the one program ended at the end of October, and we didn't have another one planned until January. We ended up running one in November just for the other facilities who needed to train some more nurses. So even when we don't need nurses or don't have nurses ready to be trained here, um, we still train them for the other facilities as well. And now, Deborah, you have taken over as interim director. How does that feel? Well... It's been two weeks, <laughs> so <laughs> you can ask me in a couple of months, but it's been very good. It's been um, enlightening, knowing everything that Tammy dealt with from day to day, like stuff behind the scenes that she just takes care of, and as an instructor, we don't see it. Yeah, so. and now, Tammy, you've had 30 years experience. Yes. That's quite a bit of time. Yes. Since age one, it sounds like. Right, I know, so yeah, I just... Right out of the womb when I was first, but, um, <laughs> um, so yeah. So my background is I I um, I had always been interested in for sure um, the medical profession, and I thought about nursing. But originally, I thought I might go the paramedic route. And then while I was um, taking a medical terminology class so that I could give better reports while I was an EMT, the um, professor. Uh, said to me, you should consider going to county nursing school and being an RN because she was an RN and she was class of 1937. Wow. In fact, her picture is on the wall over at the college. Wow. And so I did, and I took a bunch of friends along with me from Pro, and we came to nursing school here, and then the rest is history. I've been here ever since, and I loved my time at county. And you've worked in different areas. So originally I was a um, burn ICU nurse. So I worked there and then I came to EDCOS to nursing education and about um, 24 years ago and then the first half of it was as an educator and then the last part as, as the director. That's as, amazing. That's amazing. And Deborah, you have an interesting history yourself. Do I? You do. So I worked, well, my mom was a nurse and she encouraged me to go to nursing school when I thought I was going to be a PA. She's like, no, you don't want to be a PA, you want to be an RN. So I went to County US, here, LA County, and I went to nursing school. And then I graduated in 95, and then I was hired to work in the surgical ICU. So I worked in the surgical ICU for seven years, and then I was going to school, getting my master's degree, trying to decide what I wanted to do, and I decided I really like my clinical instructor, Tammy. Like, that was pretty cool when she did it. say that. <laughs> so I decided to apply to the education department, and I was hired, and that was 17 years ago. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And now we have people here, uh, nurses here, who have trained people for ICU, for emergency, for psychiatry, lots of different skills. And Samantha and Maybeth, you um, are part of the ICU coordinators, correct? Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about yourselves? Um, well, I started off as uh, an ICU RN, straight out new grad, <laughs> um, at Harvard UCLA, actually. And um, I got my ICU experience there, venture out a little bit to you know UCLA, also UCI, and some of the uh, community hospitals as well. So uh, overall experience, I'd rather come back to the county. I love the patients and uh, the type of you know, being a teaching facility, um, I really enjoyed it. And um, the my coworkers are kind of like my family, and um, it's nice coming back. And um, and I, I I know the bottom line is I always want to be an educator, so I've always like tried to pursue that route. Um, and teaching nursing is one of the best thing I ever did. Um, <laughs> um, I just love um, you know just having that impact on the students and how I could, you know, share my experience with them and teach them and hopefully they um, able to use that information to actually, you know, um, take good care of the patients. So um, I was very lucky to be able to join um, EDCOS uh, in 2013 and uh, since then this is my new family and I've loved it. 
Um, I've been with the county. I started off as a student nurse worker in 2000, mm -hmm. and then I worked with Deborah and Mike in surgical ICU 9300. And I went back to school to get my bachelor's. I really didn't think I was going to be an educator because I was like, oh, I really love the ICU. And I still, we, we were redeployed and I still love the ICU. Um, and actually, Beverly, she's our former uh, colleague, she's like, why don't you apply? And I was like, I guess, sure, I'll give it a try. I applied and it was such a blessing. I think every, all, all the steps in my life I feel like have been little blessings, you know? I actually didn't plan to be a nurse either. Uh, fell into that, fell into Edco's, and uh, I'm so fortunate, so fortunate to be here. Um, so I've been here for 13 years, I think. Is that right? Is that right, Tim? Yeah. 13, 13 years, yeah. Wow. Now, just for the listeners, not all ICUs are created equally. I mean, we just talked about burn ICU and the surgical ICU, right? And ICU, <laughs> medicine ICU, right? Pediatrics ICU. We have lots of different ICU intensive care units. Can you explain to us the differences in the skill level and in the training and how do you go about, you know, choosing that path? I think it's, I feel, I honestly feel that you have a personality that matches an ICU that you belong to. Um, in fact, when I first started, uh, Cindy Clater, I was sitting in class and she says, where are you going? And I said, surgical ICU. And she says, oh yeah, you look like you're, you belong in surgical ICU. And it's funny, you call it, kind of fall into a personality of being a medical nurse, a pediatric nurse, a trauma nurse, a cardiac nurse. Um, and I always say in my lecture that I am not a cardiac nurse because I couldn't tell you an S1 from an S, no, I can't tell you an SO2, but you know, it's, it's a different monster and it's, it's yeah. all different. But I think you fall into a personality going into a specific ICU. I don't know if you guys agree. Oh, yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. when, um, when I went to Burns, I, went, I was also a student nurse worker and um, went up there as a student nurse worker and instantly felt like, okay, this is home. And never thought about another ICU after that. It just... Burns um, was very, it's a small unit, very tight-knit, kind of like how Edco's is too. Um, and what I love too is that the patients are there for a long time, so you really get to know them and their families. So they're in the ICU and they're often on the ward for a long time. They come back to clinic. We used to even have a Christmas party where they would come back for the Christmas party, so you'd get to see them. And they still have a burn survivor par party every year. So you, you get to develop these ongoing relationships and uh, it's, it's really, uh, it's a special place to work. Mm -hmm. So I love my time in Burns. Julie, what about you? Can you comment on the pediatric side? Um, from the pediatric, well, it was really by default because um, it's default that I'm a nurse, really, because I really wanted to be a teacher. Um, but my mom, um, I'm half Mexican and half German, and my mom, she without really knowing, I don't even know how she knew because um, she, she didn't grow up here. And she came from a tiny village in Mexico. And so she said, no, you know, it, it's better if you become a nurse. And I was like, oh, I don't really want to be a nurse, but okay. <laughs> so I went into nursing school and I remember my very um, third uh, semester, I came home and I said, that's it, I'm quitting. I'm never going back. And she was like, but you're almost done. And I said, but I don't like it. And then for my fourth semester, I got to do my clinical here at County. And I was like, wow, what is this place? <laughs> and it was just so fascinating with the, um, the patients. And I really felt connected um, to the patient population. Help, you know, speaking Spanish and the cultural ties and they really needed help and I was like, this is it, and my very first patient I had was a um, HIV AIDS patient, and he was so young, and he had nobody, and, I, and, and people were scared to go in the room, and I said, I'm not scared, I'll go, and I went in there, and you know, I, I just, I, I loved it, and so um, then I, I was in neuro, I, I came here as a student nurse worker, and they would always send me on 5300 in the ward. 
and it was complete total care patients and and it was hard work but we were as a team it was amazing and so then I went to neuro ICU and then whenever we got a little kid they would say Julie today you only have one patient and I'm like one patient that's not the norm and they're like oh it's this little infant that fell out of the window I'm like oh great you know so I was terrified but then I was like, okay, I'm doing this. And then I went, I said, I wanna know more about kids. So I went to a pediatric ICU. And um, it was, it was, you know, I pretty much stayed there in the ICU, traveled around county. I did California Children's Services, maternal child adolescent clinic, and then just went back to the ICU and then came here to Ed Coast for six years now. Talking about working in the ICU just in the best of times is very challenging because patients are very sick and it is a high stress environment and things can go wrong and it can actually be really sad as well as, you know, extremely happy if there's a good outcome. Um, how do you think just in your own experiences working, you know, at the bedside in the ICU and some of you were deployed back to the ICU during the pandemic. Can you talk to us about what it's like being an ICU nurse? You know, I have to say that being a trauma nurse in the ICU for the, that many years, there were a lot of sad stories where the patient didn't make it, but there were a lot of good stories where you healed the gunshot wounds, you sewed up the leg, and they walked out of there. When I got redeployed in the November, mm-hmm. it was really sad because there would be like three deaths just in one, our little unit in one shift. And that was very different for me. And also I felt like I could do more for my trauma patients versus COVID. Once they were on that path, kind of circling down, I felt like there wasn't a lot I could do. So I do remember there was a 41 year old uh, gentleman who the family had decided to um, withdraw, or not withdraw care, but like take the ET tube out and let him pass. So 45 minutes I was in the room, I held the iPad um, to his face and the family watched and I held his hand and they watched every single breath that he was taking and I could tell they were looking at me too. So um, I was, you know, like rubbing his head and holding his hand just so they didn't know that he didn't have to die by himself. Yeah. And then um, once he took his last breath, I put the iPad on the screen to show that it was a flat line and the family just started wailing and I was crying <laughs> it was and that was my introduction to being back in the ICU with COVID um, just dealing with rolling another iPad into another patient's room for the family to visit yeah it was it was very challenging I was with Deborah in the surgical ICU um, and we were um, I was also redeployed to PACU, which is a which was a new unit that they opened for the surge, um, and I have been away from the bedside for 13 years, which is a long time. And I think people think, oh, you teach the ICU program, you can do, but it's not so. Um, you know, we're not used to the charting, not used to the day to day in and out. I mean, I didn't, I had to learn how to hang up, piggyback again, you know, because it was different from when I had practiced back then. So it was a lot of relearning. It was stressful, I'm not gonna lie. It was stressful to be redeployed back, relearn things in a different way. Um, and then on top of that, you throw COVID on top of it and it's like way complicated, you know? So uh, it, it, was a, it was a challenging time to be an ICU nurse, to be a redeployed ICU nurse, and then to work during a pandemic. It was not easy. Um, I think it, and it effect, affected my family life as well because I had young children, so my work days were spent not seeing them. And they're, you know, then they're like, are we gonna see you tomorrow? How many more days are we gonna see you? So that was a challenge. But you know, I, like Deborah, um, I mean, I love the ICU. To my bones, I love the ICU. And so to go back to my SICU family was great. Um, I think the great thing about being a, a county nurse is the camaraderie, the family that you develop. I mean, we all have different families, our PICU family, our burn family, our SICU family, my SICU family was still there. So they took care of me, you know, and we banded together during this difficult time. 
it was hard for me, but it was hard for them. And some of them had been going through it since March, since a year ago, you know? Um, so I think they were, it was just nice to be together. You know, it was nice for us to, to be together during a difficult time, you know? And I think our skills come back. People say it's like riding a bike with riding a hard bike. <laughs> <laughs> it was not easy. And you fell off a couple of times. Yes, I did very hard. Because it was training me all about riding a unicycle. Yes, yes, that's what I for riding a unicycle. Um, but you know, coming back to your county family and knowing that you know they have your back, like our family here too. Stephanie, now you're you're talking about educating the emergency room nursing staff. And that was its own beast, especially during COVID. Can you maybe talk about your experiences? Yeah, during COVID, it was a unique situation that really we weren't 100% prepared for. And like a lot of specialties, there's certain considerations in the emergency department uh, that we have to always keep in the back of our minds because we are essentially the front door to the hospital. And so a lot of the times we won't know or have the luxury of knowledge what we have to be careful for, what we're treating. So it was just really bringing everybody up to speed and making sure that everyone was using the precautions. Because as an emergency nurse, you see a patient coding, your first instinct is to run in that room and jump on because you know it's such a critical time to get that patient back and to then now have to take into consideration that we can't do that. We have to t- protect ourselves first. And so there was a huge learning curve, and it really almost went against the grain of what is embedded in an emergency department nurse. So it was, you know, making sure that the staff was taking care of themselves and staying safe, but then also bringing new nurses into that environment and trying to be cognizant and aware that they are new. They still are, you know, developing and acclimating to the culture. And so to not overwhelm them, but it was also gave them a chance to be like in certain situations with frequency that they really developed their skills so much faster and having to see super, super sick patients very early in their career and to live through the pandemic and, you know, be trained as an ER nurse when it was so crucial. So it was, it presented a lot of unique challenges for the existing staff to give them the emotional support they needed, but then also integrating the new staff and making sure that they were safe and not being completely overwhelmed by a scenario. Because it can be very chaotic on its best day, but then you throw a pandemic on top of it and it could just very easily crumble off from underneath you. Well, I think you bring up a really interesting point about the emotional support, right? In your roles as educators, that I'm sure came into play when you are trying to retrain or train new staff into these new roles during a pandemic and you know if you are a nurse that hasn't been at the bedside for a few years there's probably a lot of anxiety involving that or if you're a new nurse and now you're like okay jump in there during a pandemic that has a lot of anxiety or even if you've been practicing nursing for 30 years it is a different way that you are doing it today so um how did you find that your sessions, your classes, your, your learning environments had changed and how had your students changed? So speaking for the pediatrics, it was um, they were going to the adult um, units because honestly their pediatric population has decreased. And so here there were extra nurses that only dealt with peds and we know peds is very special. And so all of a sudden, they were like, well, we have to go to adult settings, and we've never been in adult settings, and it's it's a different beast, adults versus uh, pediatrics. So um, it was high anxiety, and um, Tammy being our leader, you know, and then everybody else jumped in too, and we held like a very um, specific cross training things for them, and mostly having them to verbalize what what were their fears and how could we. Um, you know, mitigate those. And so um, we developed a little program for them and and throughout the whole time always made aware that we're here to support you, whatever it is, whatever you need, we're also here. And I, I think um, we, we heard how um, uh, the nurse manager, uh, Roberta, was very grateful. Um, so I, I know that, speaking from pediatrics, that's how that went. 
I know too, um, we were doing the classes early on for the clinic nurses that were being redeployed. And, you know, they were nervous. You know, some of them would tell us kind of the same story. It's been 27 years since I've done inpatient care. And they were gonna be redeployed to assist up in the wards, you know, um, assess the nursing staff there. And um, by the end of the class, you know, we did like an eight hour class for them. They, they would come up to you and they would be like, oh, thank you so much, I feel better. Like, it really was, I don't know, it was, it, there was an emotional support component to it. It wasn't like we're just gonna throw you up there and good luck, you know? And it was just reviewing chest tubes and tube feeding and Foley bags and all these things that they, they were nervous about. And I think they really appreciated it like that. That definitely helped. That was a good call. Well, I think that is one really good example of how empowering education is. And I think that's the thing that kind of gets missed. And that's why I appreciate you highlighting our department because it can really, really empower people to feel confident to walk into that unit, to go into that patient's room because they do feel more confident after they've had education. And it doesn't have to be something extensive. It could be that one eight hour day, but us showing that we believed in them and that we were gonna spend our time giving them the knowledge to support their practice kind of got them you know, headed in the right direction and would hopefully charge them up and give them more emotional support. I remember, you know, when I was, I taught about 10 years in the ICU program and one of the things I would share usually with my ICU students when we started clinical, I would share, you know, many years ago when I was walking from the parking lot, I said this prayer, please don't let my patient die today. Please don't <laughs> let my patient, and you know, and they're like, really? You felt that way too? Like, it's, it's kind of like we all realized we all went through that and we all felt that anxiety and it was through working with your you know, instructors that kind of like bring you along that you survive that because yeah, it could be paralyzing otherwise. You know, it's so funny that you say that and I don't mean funny haha in the way that I can completely relate to what you're saying. In this, when I was an intern, my first night in the neuro ICU, I just kept saying, oh, please let everybody be okay. No, please let everybody be okay. Because you're terrified. You are terrified. And if somebody asked me to go back now to the neuro ICU, please let everybody be okay. Please let everybody be okay. Because I'd, I would, you know, have not worked in a neuro ICU for 10 years. This is not a place I would feel comfortable in um, right off the bat. Um, so, yeah, I think we're all in the same boat in that kind of way. Even educating um, students has changed due to COVID and the whole pandemic. Because before, when we have our ICU program, we were able to fit everybody in one classroom. And, you know, um, there's a lot of interactions between all the students and, and the teachers. And, um, but because of the pandemic, we are limited to the six feet distancing per desk. And so we have to, like, accommodate all the all the students that we need to train by splitting up into two classrooms. And then we have to um, set up this whole thing with teams so then we can, you know, present in one classroom and the other classroom can view the lecture at the same time. So um, that was a huge challenge um, because we've never done this before in which we have to make sure that the other classroom can receive just as much information and being able to ask questions and things like that, um, it, it's, it's been really challenging. But then being redeployed to adds a new perspective. Because for me, personally, I've never worked at LACUSC. <laughs> so it's a whole new like you know ICU that I'm gonna be redeployed to. Plus, when I was working at Harvard, the last thing I saw was paper charting. <laughs> and, you know, um, going back to the ICU, it's not even like riding a bike, it's like riding like unicycle, like Mike said, but also like, you know, with some new gadgets on there that I'm not familiar of how to use or how to apply my brakes when I needed it. <laughs> so that was really challenging. And, but it also gives me a, a, a kind of a new view of what my students are going through day one in their clinical, you know, like, and, and what to expect from them. So 
um, that was a new perspective for me because I see my own struggles and I said to myself, oh my gosh, this is what the students are going through and it is frustrating. It is very frustrating on all the, you know, ORCID and then all the scanning and, you know, administering medications, how many steps that it takes in order to administer a, you know, a drip. It is, it is insane. And now I, I can see that, you know, how I can help the, the new students to, to struggle through that. So it, it really um, helped me to open my eyes about, you know, their, their, what they're seeing now. Absolutely. Yeah, medicine changes. The way we practice in medicine changes all the time. Yes. Like, I remember running to the ward and writing my order down and leaving, and now I just can kind of roll over it and type it in, and that's kind of the convenient side of things, but then there's a whole other flip side as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Anybody else? It, it's challenging. I mean, like you said, um, when we were practicing a long time ago, we did have uh, charting, but it was much more simplified, mm -hmm. much more streamlined. I feel it was much more, um, the, the not the quality of documentation, it was the quality. Did I say, qu did I say mm -hmm. the backwards? Yeah. It's not the quantity, it's not how much you document, but it's what you document. Mm -hmm. And I always say, and I don't know if you guys will agree, but I felt, I feel like now you touch the computer way more than you touch your patient. It's like 80% computer, maybe 20% your patient. And I feel like it wasn't always like that, you know? Um, it's unfortunate, um, and, but it's something that we, we teach our students. It's, it's the way we are practicing now. I hope it goes back to somehow we find a balance, but to say. It keeps evolving. It does. I hope it evolves in a positive way because going back to the bedside, I was like, my gosh, did I not just document this? <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it is a different perspective in, in, in nursing than throw the pandemic on top of it. And, and we probably learned a lot from the pandemic on ways that we can practice medicine differently than we have probably hadn't considered before. Mm -hmm. Now, coming back to Michael, Michael, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? You have such a fascinating history. Well, you know, I never wanted to be a nurse. Uh, nursing found me. Um, I was a truck driver. And, you know, I was kind of, I had been a truck driver for about 10 years. And I was at that point in life where I was asking myself, is this all there is, you know? Like, is there something more you could be doing? And about the same time, I had a friend that was on Air 5. He was one of the sheriff paramedics. And uh, man, he had like this really exciting life. And I'm like, that's what I should be doing. And he goes, Mike, you need to be a county trauma nurse. And I'm like, okay. Um, I was the first person in my family to go to college. And uh, he got me the application from the the nursing school here, the county nursing school, and he said, sign up, you need to be a county nurse. And so I had no idea what I was getting into. <laughs> um, and um, so I graduated in 1993 with a diploma, one of the last groups that actually graduated with a nursing diploma. And, you know, I came into the profession with the mindset that, wow, now I'm helping people, I'm really doing something great, everybody's gonna love me. And it wasn't exactly that way. Um, and I remember in my first semester of nursing school, I was taking care of a patient who was a quadriplegic, um, and he did not physically assault me, but he did verbally assault me, very bad. And I remember questioning like, is this really the right thing to do? Like, this isn't right. And that kind of stuck in the back of my mind. And then, you know, I became a nurse. And I remember the first time I was working in surgical ICU. And there was this little old man leaving AMA. And the doctor asked me, please don't let him leave. You know, he needs treatment. And I remember walking up to this little old guy with a cane and saying, sir, we, we need you to wait. And he turned around and hit me on the side of the head with his cane. Oh, no. And I'm like, okay, this isn't right either. <laughs> Um, and so, you know, the county way was always not to talk about stuff like this. It was to suck it up. You're a county nurse. Come on, you know, tough it out. And so there were a lot of these things that built up over time. So then kind of fast forward, 
Um, I worked in the ICU for 10 years, and then I became one of the ICU educators. And uh, a little side job they gave me was teaching this assaultive behavior stuff, which I'd never heard of. And um, it was uh, crisis prevention, CPI, and um, it was interesting to me. And I kind of, you know, uh, I have to give a shout out to Tammy because she's probably the most amazing person I've ever worked for. I've had a lot of jobs through my life. The support. Um, and what is not captured maybe fully, you know, in a podcast is the, you know, the idea of nurturing people to do more. You know, not do more because you're assigned more, do more because you want to do more. And, and that's, you know, as a, as a boss, I'll call her really like a friend, but as a boss, she really made you want to do more. Like, and gave you that license, like, great idea, let's do it. Um, and so I kind of took the MAB and I took my ICU mind and started applying that towards it. And it just kind of has grown. And of course, in society, violence in the workplace has become, uh, people have become more aware of that. You know, it's always happened. And what I found out was a lot of nurses and doctors and healthcare providers were the victims of violence, either verbal or physical. And I still teach a little bit in the ICU and ER programs, but I really, my passion has become the, you know, helping staff stay safe. You know, the legal requirements for this training are based in the shooting that took place in 1993 in Old General Hospital. You know, it was after that shooting that California passed a state law requiring training in, in safety plans. So it really hit home, um, pardon the pun, and um, it, it, it made me reflect back on you know, what I experienced as a new nurse, as a nursing student, as a new nurse. And I started realizing, you know what, a lot of people have experienced those, those kinds of things. So I really have, um, I, I call it to myself anyhow, the most important subject I've taught. And I will tell students I've taught about ventilators and vasoactive drips and, you know, surgical procedures, but I still feel like this is the most important important thing I can do because if God help us, you know, if a patient does come in and want to hurt staff, you know, I, I, I take that, that oath seriously. And so it has it, it all kind of come full circle and it, it found me. I didn't ever purpose to be this, um, but it kind of found me, you know. And so that's kind of where I am and now I've been teaching and coordinating the assaultive behavior and the cold goal and the BRT and all that stuff for 17 years now. That's amazing. Um, having been a student in one of your classes, um, can you give now us a you're little? Aging me. <laughs> can you give us a little pearl as to what we can do to keep ourselves safe? You know, it really comes down to one of the things. I've come to realize is we can't depend on others to keep us safe. Um, we can't, you know, depend on the sheriff's department or security because even if they were standing right next to you, somebody could still do something. And um, it really comes down to being aware of your surroundings, being aware of what's going on around you. And we've heard this, you know, all the time. And the other thing I've kind of recently discovered is I think a misconception is we provide healthcare. Like the patient comes in and we do this for them. And I've really come to realize we negotiate. It's all day long. Um, we are negotiating healthcare. They allow us to provide healthcare. It isn't like do this because I told you to. It's like, okay, what is it you want? I, I, it's a great line in the, uh, uh, the Wolf of Wall Street you know, sell me this pen. You know, in other words, we tend to tell people what they need instead of asking them what they want. And if you start with what people want, that makes us safer because we're giving people what they're actually looking for, not what we think they want. Mm 
Mm. And so that would be my pearl of wisdom, I guess. That's great. No, that's very helpful. You're absolutely right. Um, we are in a field where we deal with people and people have feelings and emotions and reactions and we do too and it's a dynamic between people all day long that's what it is i wonder if each of you could share maybe a special moment or time something in your teaching um, where either a student or a patient some meaningful interaction either before or even during the pandemic i was a brand new educator at edcos and it was in fact my first class and one of the students she was she was good she was doing a good job but the only thing she lacked was confidence and um, she I remember her coming to my office actually there were cubicles then and she came in and she sat down and she was in tears and she said um, I don't think I can do this she said I, I just don't think I'm not good enough for this I you know I can't do it and I knew she was good enough. Even though I was a new educator, I knew she was gonna be good. And I said, yes, you can, you can. You're, you know, and I just begged her not to, not to quit and, that, and told her what I saw in her. And, um, and she stayed. And you know, it's funny, throughout the years, so that was 24 years ago, and throughout the years, whenever I see her, I always just get the good feeling. <laughs> And when I was, um, we were doing rounds um, last month before, you know, on the weekends, the admin was going around and talking to the different nurses. And uh, she was one of the nurses I saw on my last Saturday there. And uh, anyway, and I just, you know, I was just so happy to see her. And she's one of the leaders in the, in the ICU and everything and uh, in the MICU. And I don't know, that was what it was all about for me. So that's very special. I will say, um, when you teach, you know, a new ICU nurse, they become your child, <laughs> you know. And when and when they do great, you're so proud. You're a proud parent, you know. And it's kind of like what Tammy was talking about. I remember one of the nursing attendants in surgical ICU, who was an amazing lady. Um, she went to nursing school and she got hired into the ICU. And I remember being um, a preceptor for her. And, uh, and she went on, to, she's currently a director of nursing at one of the other facilities. And there's still part of me that's like a proud papa, you know, <laughs> that my kid did good. And, and I think, you know, speak, I can't speak for everybody, but I think I can, that, you know, you really feel like these are special people you know it's they're not just co-workers or acquaintances they're they're we, we we're invested in them and we also know that if we get in a car wreck on the way home that might be the first face we see when we open our eyes you know mm -hmm. so we take it i think really serious in that sense too mm -hmm. um like sam being redeployed has given me a different a, a different perspective so now when I go and the last, or this, we just got redeployed, came back to teach, we actually got redeployed and then the very next week we came back and right back into our previous role. So with that new perspective that I have, I try and tell the staff, the new, new IC seniors, especially ones that we just had, that it's such a privilege to come and work here mm -hmm. in the ICU and they shouldn't take it for granted, you know? Some of them come in and they're like, oh my, preceptor of things of me like this and you know like the world is against them no we're here to help you succeed and give you the tools to succeed and we want to see you succeed and the ICU isn't for everybody and that's okay it's, there's nothing wrong with that I always tell people things happen in your life for a reason so go ahead and you know follow that mm -hmm. um, but to have that perspective of, of we are privileged the patients trust us they trust us to take care of them and we have to be competent, confident, secure, and you know, hopefully we in the education department guide them in that, provide them the tools and the knowledge and all of that. So I try now bring the perspective of it's a privilege and we should view it as such. And to add to what Maybeth said, um, you know, we were talking about um, that New York Times article 
And I don't think we could get through it without like crying mm-hmm. because you know we were there present with all um, these patients. And so somebody, one of our other co-workers um, asked like, well, what can we do? You know, what can we do for um, these patients? And I said, Yvette, let's keep doing what we're doing. Each day we come and we try to do our very best and we try to, like me, Beth said, and Sam and Mike impart all of Stephanie, Tammy, Deborah, impart all this knowledge that we have and share it with them and find ways of how, how can I best teach you? How can I best, um, you know, approach this, whatever topic it is and finding ways. And, and I think we rose to that challenge, you know, doing it remotely, recording, um, doing various in-service, live. I mean, Beth and I did an in-service where we would lug around a huge TV and we would line everybody up, you know, outside the nurse's station and just, you know, start doing an in-service. And so we're always, you know, thinking about our patients because I said, this, this is what we do. This is what we excel at. And each and every person here has such passion um, to, to, you know, like I said, proud parents, you know, because you're like, oh, I, I helped. And at the same time, I have to say, I've learned things too um, from, from the new students. I've learned to look at things a different way they question and I'm like, hmm, I've never thought about that. That's a very good question. Let me see. So it also encourages um, us to just to a greatness, you know, to be the best that we can be. Yeah. You know, I, I wonder, this is a teaching hospital and we have all different kinds of disciplines who have students that come along. Um, I did my residency here. I did my fellowship here. And I remember, especially when I was an intern, oh man, did I rely on the nurses every day? And there was more than once when the nurse was like, I think doctor, you meant to write that. And I was like, oh yes, you're absolutely right. Thank you very much for that. Um, so can you talk about a little bit of your experiences with our other you know, colleagues, not just our nursing colleagues, but with others, maybe the interns, doctors, how you are part of their education as well? So the surgical residency program, See, we got, had surgeons from all different backgrounds. They came from the military, from Kaiser, Cottage Hospital. And um, I remember uh, there was one of the surgeons who came through. Um, we kind of developed a little bit of a friendship. And um, he was interested in plastic surgery. And so he went on to become a very successful plastic surgery surgeon in Beverly Hills. And um, I went by to see him one day and I'll never forget this. Um, I stopped by his office and, and he ushers me into his office and he had a colleague in the office with him. And he introduced me to his colleague. He said, this is Mike. This is the guy who taught me how to be an ICU, you know, take care of patients in the ICU. In other words, he didn't see me as, well, this is a nurse and I'm a doctor, but he really saw it as a colleague. Mm-hmm. And, um, I feel like, I, I don't know any other place other than county, and so I don't know what it's like for other nurses and doctors and their relationships, but I know here at county, we're definitely a team. And we, and we look out for each other, and we help each other, and um, that's that's why I've been here 27 years, and well, what do you say, almost 150 years? That's why More people then. stay More here, <laughs> yeah. I think, is because it is such a team. You know, that's what's so attractive about it. Just this last time when we were redeployed, we had, um, gosh, I feel we've been here so long. The new doctors are so young. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And they're getting younger every day. I know. (laughs) So she wanted to put a Dobhoff on this COVID patient. So she's like, I've never done it before. So Ramona, our fantastic ICU nurse, was like, okay, I'll help you. So she puts this Dobhoff in, and it, it's weighted, you know, and there's a wire, guide wire. Um, so she comes back the next day, and she's like, there was a guide wire. And I was like, oh, yeah, we took it, we took it out. She was like, oh, I was hoping you did, because I had no idea what I was doing. And I was like, you need to order this afterwards so that we could, you know. And she's like, okay, I'm on it, you know. So it, 
It is, and you know what? It's a trusting relationship. It is. It is because then they trust you, they trust your eyes, they trust your ears. So when you come to them with an issue, they're like, okay, let me address the specific issue you're dealing with. And it is, I truly feel like it's collaborative. It's yeah. truly collaborative, especially here. Like I've never been like Mike anywhere else. So um, it's a, it's great. In surgical ICU with our surgeons, we're, it's truly collaborative. I definitely felt that way in burns too, and particularly with peds. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Um, we relied so heavily on the peds, nurses, and doctors, residents, and they were always there. All we had to do was pick up the phone, we've got a little infant, they would be up there, wouldn't, it was never, they never acted like it was a burden at all, no matter how much more, how much they had going on in peds, and they were there, and they were there the whole time, as long as we needed them, and they, you could just feel the anxiety drop as soon as they walked in the door, both the PICU nurses and the doctors. The one thing I would like yes. to say is about this team. You know, um, I have to say that everything that's ever been asked of them, everything I've ever said, we need to do this, I get the call from admin, this is what we need to get done now, they always rise to every challenge and, you know, and it just, and do it so well, you know, because they do, as Julie and Mike said, and all of us, they have such a passion for teaching too and taking care of our patients. So, so going through this pandemic, it was you know class after class and um, in services and everything. And as Julie said, pushing the, the TV down the hall, whatever's asked of them, they did. But, and then to be redeployed too, it was so hard to know that that had to happen, but then they, they did. And then they, you know, I mean, it just, and they always do. And I just have to say what, what a blessing it's been to be with this team and, and uh, you know, so I'm just honored. Well, thank you all so much for being here today and thank you for everything that you have done for our patients, for our colleagues, for each other and what you continue to do. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in today. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter and to subscribe to the LACUSC Medical Center YouTube channel, where you can find all of our previous episodes, in addition to the episodes located on anchor.fm slash housecallswithdrk. We also want to hear from you, so email us at lacuscpio at dhs.lacounty.gov. Thank you for tuning in, and see you next week.